This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. My guest on the podcast today is Bill Stakos. Bill is the Head of Customer Experience at Freddie Mac. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I always do a little bit of tidbits on and try to do as creep, much creeping as I can on LinkedIn and um, online. And I found two things that were interesting to me. Uh, so the first one is that one of the languages you know, besides English, is Greek. Why did you choose Greek or how did you go about that? So, so great question. Um, I would just say that Greek chose me. So my, um, my family or my parents emigrated uh, to the U.S. from Greece in 1968 um, looking for the American dream. So uh, my brother and I were both born here, but uh, we're a big family, total over 61st cousins and um, or spread out all over the world. So uh, Greek chose me, but I am fluent. So you consistently speak it still with the family? Still do. Um, I try and speak it as much as possible. Um, It's one of those things, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And yeah, um, yeah, it's just something that I'm proud of and just, you know, proud of the heritage too. Very cool. One of the previous um, guests is Annette France and she speaks German too, but she's like, I I don't speak it as much now and I'm kind of losing it. So she's like, when I try to talk, I I don't want to don't want to talk to somebody as fluent, so I I don't sound stupid. So um, she's uh, she's great. And then the other thing is um, you worked for an organization where you spent some time in Switzerland. Um, how was that experience? So um, I worked for. Do you mind me saying the company? Is that yeah, all right? Go ahead. So yeah, yeah I worked, no, So I worked for Credit Suisse. Um, Worked three years in New York, and then I was asked to move out to Switzerland to head up customer experience globally for the private bank. And it was a fantastic experience, both professionally and personally. I mean, personally, my wife and I would take, and we didn't have kids then, so we would take like three or four week driving tours. We'd pick a country and then drive out there from Switzerland and explore north, south, east, and west. Um, We had a lab, and we'd bring the lab with us. So my lab is probably and in more bodies of water than, than, than many people in the world, frankly. But um, personally, it was, it was fantastic. Professionally, it was a wonderful experience. One, just, just to be able to work in a new and a different culture. There's a very different way of working out there uh, than you might find in the U.S. So it really kind of helped um, check some of my biases or some of the bad habits that we might um, have in the U.S. and really made me think twice about how to operate in a really efficient way. Mm. So that's so cool. That's one of my bucket lists is to is to hit Switzerland. So <clears throat> yeah, before, I, I, before I do, I'm going to reach you, reach out. Sounds good. Uh, so you're a a vet in the customer experience space. Um, how did you go about getting started? It's a good question. So, uh, you know, I, I, I attribute it actually to my Greek heritage. So um, I'm not sure if it's like this where you are, or where some of your listeners are, but in the Northeast where I grew up, if you were Greek, you owned or worked in a diner, I just full stop. And, um, you know, as early as I can remember, um, 
it was all about your customer coming in, getting them to keep coming back. Um, and there was no, you know, social network. So it was all word of mouth marketing, right? And mm. um, my parents' diner was actually on a truck route or just off a truck route, uh, Route 95 in New York. And all the truckers would see me and say, hey, if you're going to be driving through here, you got to stop at, you know, this diner in Elmsford, New, in Elmsford, New York. And yeah. um, so I got a taste for the work, I guess, or some of the core tenets of the work really early on. And, um, you know, I went, I went to college, got a, my degree in finance, thought I was going to work on Wall Street and found out that I really just didn't love that, um, doing that work every day. And mm. from there, I got involved in, in market research. And from there, market research consulting, then started going on to the design side um, and started bringing together um, elements around insights, analytics, um, design, and then you know, how do you use that all that information to, to help uh, change a culture in an organization as well um, to really cater towards those customer needs um, and start solving uh, problems from the customer backward that you would find in like an Apple or an Amazon as an example today. Yeah. No, it's a, it sounds like a really cool background. Um, so there's, I would still consider customer experiences semi on the infant stage, but um, what do you, what's changed from the beginning uh, to what you know now to what you knew then? So it feels like there's been a confluence of disciplines that have come together versus, you know, 20 plus years ago, right? I think that you've got, you know, you've got your traditional market research client insights um, organizations um, that are now trying to morph in sort of the more of how, how do we design experiences. Um, you have your core design agencies, like a frog consulting, you know, frog design as an example, who really is focused on design and brings in a lot of that research and analytics. Over the past five years, now you've got data science creeping into the space where they're bringing in AI tools, machine learning tools, how to leverage those in a way to start to orchestrate um, those, uh, those journeys and experiences in a much more proactive way. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, in the past year, it feels like for me at least, um, the conversation around employee experience now is a big piece, right? And you can't have a great customer experience without a great employee experience. And what does that mean, right? And that's where I'm hearing a lot of conversation happening um, as, as well as some other things, you know, talking before the show, like how do you kind of measure success of a CX team and, yeah. um, how do you tie this to real business outcomes to show the true value of the work? Yeah. Well, we're going to get into business outcomes later. Uh, so, so listen to the, the entire podcast, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the first thing I want to talk about is around, um, what you're doing at Freddie Mac. So the head of customer experience, uh, explain to the listeners kind of what you do. So I lead a team, um, a pretty decent sized team. And we have sort of three core competencies. Uh, one is uh, a design team. And I would really say that's really geared more towards design facilitation. Mm -hmm. um, so working with product teams, agile, uh, the business overall, to help them identify a client problem and then solution around that client problem or problems. Uh, the second one is insights and analytics. So more of your traditional um, uh, survey team and then working with the results, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, working with the results of those surveys, 
back into sort of the design team and with the business and really help measure sort of the size and the magnitude of the problem and really what customers needs and expectations are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting a lot more into the analytics piece now and specifically around journeys and we can talk a little bit about that, um, especially when we get to measurement. And then um, another team that is focused on sort of what I call is client solutions and there's a CX delivery component in there. And you know that team kind of looks at everything that we're learning about the customer and helps work works with sort of those client facing staff mm-hmm. and acts as the voice of the customer in the business. So you've got your client insights analytics team thinking more thematically. You've got your design team solutioning around the client. And then you've got that client solutions team helping people understand what does this mean for my client or what does this mean for this broader client segment? So you hit the, you hit the business at the 50,000 foot view and the 10,000 foot view uh, simultaneously, which, you know, frankly, I didn't have a team like that client solution team up until I joined Freddie Mac. And if I can go back 20 years and actually change something, I would put that team into practice then. I mean, it really um, can have a profound impact on a business and how they execute um, around the customer. So it's kind of like an Oreo where you put the organization in the middle and you put the CX. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if we're there yet, but, um, you know, um, but I, I think that um, I, I'm really lucky. I've got a wonderful team, great leaders, great people on the team who care deeply about um, uh, the, the customer and, and what we're doing and have a great reputation in the business. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're able to do quite a bit, um, frankly, uh, more than most teams uh, can because of our ability to bring all those disciplines together in the right way. So, yeah, well, it's great. It sounds like a great strategy, uh, great structure of the organization and, and look forward to hearing more about your guys' success at Freddie Mac. So um, one of the questions I have, I have two things that I, I would like to discuss. Uh, one of them is around the core tenants of CX and you, you kind of um, brought this up into my attention. I would love to hear more about that. So, what, from your perspective, what are the core tenets of CX? So when you think about customer experience, right, it's, it's strategically designed, um, managed, and measured. And the best way, and when I think about great or, or CX leading companies um, out there in the marketplace, I, I've always looked at them as delivering three very distinct disciplines. One is they start with the customer always. So you need a very solid practice, an insights practice um, within your business. And it's not just surveys, right? I mean, that's certainly one component and I think a really important one, but it's really understanding clients throughout the journey, not just sort of doing a tracker, a tracker out, you know, post a contact center call or doing a, a, an annual survey around the relationship. It's really understanding in the moments that matter what do your customers feel. Right. Um, and applying analytics around that. And some of it can be advanced if you don't have the dollars for it in your team. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but um, trying to put some analysis um, you know, behind that data in a way that um, helps you drill down into the most meaningful bits. And you know, that's why you get see a lot of you know um, data science teams now working closely with CX teams. Um, you know, and it's not just sort of correlations, you're really doing you know, multivariate regression and other types of um, uh, analyses to really get to, you know, what's driving this experience and what can we change in our business to do better. 
Number two for me is, is design. And you know, you can have a full stack design team in your organization if you're lucky to have that and you don't need to go to an outside consultant. Um, or, you know, it's very simple like we've got, um, you know, design facilitation. And that really is, you know, using all those insights in the analytics to help ground employees in what those customer needs and expectations are and facilitating conversations to get there. And that's a really powerful thing. And you don't need 20 people or five, you really just one person focus on some of the more important or pertinent um, uh, needs of, 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 of your um, organization um, can really get you there. And finally, culture. And for me, that's something that we always talk about in my team um, is how are we using all this information to change the culture of our organization? And it's about making sure that you democratize the insights. Um, you are um, constantly um, talking about what your um, client's needs are, and you're putting that information into as many hands of decision makers as you possibly find. Um, and you're recognize pe recognizing people for the great work that they do. If they've got a great idea, also recognize the person that actually puts that idea um, into practice too. And recognize the leadership teams of those two individuals, right? Because they've created a culture where it's okay to share ideas, in some case, air even dirty laundry, um, and, you know, and, and it's a safe environment for people to work in. Yeah. I, that sometimes that could be scary to air dirty laundry. It's kind of like you're, you're showing a little peek <laughs> of Pandora's box and then closing it as quick as possible and saying, looking around and make sure nobody's watching. Yeah. I, I try and always take the approach of CX is utility for the business. We're here to help you achieve your strategic goals. If you go about it from the perspective of, you know, I'm going to put my finger in your wound and it's going to hurt really badly. <laughs> There's right. not long-term success there, right? I mean, you, you probably know that as well as anybody. Right. And, you know, if, if we go at it from the perspective of, hey, we're going to be able, we're going to identify problems within your process or, or the journey that clients go through in your business, but we're going to work with you to solution those in an effective way so you can achieve or even exceed your, your target uh, objectives each year. I think that changes the conversation and opens up, you know, people to be you know, more partnership driven. Yeah. And at least piques their interest a little bit to, and somebody has got to be the first one. And then once you start That's gaining right. that acceptance and trust, and then they're like, Oh, this is interesting. What are they doing? Okay. So and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't have enough resources to do all this work. Right. <laughs> right. So I've, been, I've been there too. But, um, yeah, no, it's great. So you have uh, insights and analytics, you have design and culture, um, is there an order or is that they're all number one? So I, I think you have to start with insights and analytics mm -hmm. um, without understanding first and foremost um, what your clients needs and expectations are. First of all, you can't do design. Um, so if you move from insights and analytics and then, you know, showing how your client needs and expectations are driving desi design decisions in your organization, um, I think that that influences culture in and of by itself. Um, and there's all sorts of great things that you can do based on those insights and analytics to also draw culture. One of those sort of recognition that I just talked to you about before. So I think that there is a natural progression. Um, also, I mean, you, you'll start with culture right off the bat if you are kind of getting all those insights out there versus holding them close to the vest and kind of driven driving um, those things out uh, as you see fit. Um, but culture, obviously, as you know, takes a long time. So if you start getting the insights and analytics piece right, you can start to influence culture in small, measurable ways, you know, versus, and then in two, three years out, you start to really notice huge differences in the culture of your organization. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, so why is important to have uh, core tenants of CX and maybe what's the risk of not? Well, one, I think, you know, it's important because it helps people understand um, the work that you do as a CX leader. It helps people, if you can put it in that kind of framework, I think it actually helps conversation around a CX vision, right? And, you know, a lot of times, you know, I've heard people like, you know, CX is the magic bullet. We're going to hire a head of CX. We're going to put three, four resources behind this person. And, you know, we're going to start hitting home runs. <laughs> and that's not really the way things work, right? So I think if you can lay out a plan um, that um, helps people understand that there, there are phases to this, there's a maturity to all this work, right? Mm -hmm. um, you, you get more buy-in, or at least that I've found that I've gotten more buy-in, and it gives you the room to not have to move so fast as well, yeah. right? Because that also is a risk. And, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that you're setting your team up for success as well. And I think having, giving yourself that space and showing them that there is a progression, there's a one, two, three year kind of roadmap to all this. Mm -hmm. um, it, it creates more buying and gives you the flexibility as well to do things. You know, if you're sort of along your maturity, you might do a couple of things on that. Like I'm going to test some culture things early, right? So by the time we get to year two or three, you're already full swing in these things, right? So I think that's really an important thing um, versus saying, I'm going to just set up 20 people. We're going to be part of this big team and we're going to just start killing it day one. Yep, yeah. you could. Um, but that is probably not going to happen if your company is just getting started on the CX team. Yeah. It's kind of like a, like a fireworks show where you got to still give them little snippets of what's potential going to happen at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, Hey, Hey, look at this one. It's a little twirly thing. Hey, this one kind of went up and, and went in a circle. <laughs> I, I don't know why I just thought of that. So, uh, I might have to clip that out, but, uh, I, you know, I always keep them engaged and, and um, a bot in to why they're there. That's right. I think that's the important point. And if you, if you, if you root the work that you do, um, in the customer need and what you're hearing and what you're able to observe through analysis of, you know, not only feedback, but just what are they doing? You know, are they, are they going to the web and they're calling the contact center, then they're going back to the web-based tool. Like yeah. you can capture even some of that and really put a good story together. It leads to better design. It leads to people thinking differently around the client and what those needs and expectations are. And hopefully they start bringing some of that uh, thinking back into their day-to-day -day job. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So the next topic I want to discuss is that you wrote on was being customer focused versus being customer obsessed. What yeah, is, yeah. what does that mean? And what is the difference? So for, you know, um, for me, I think being customer focused means that it, you're, 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 you're going out there to understand those needs, right? And, and just like there's an evolution and a maturity to those core tenants, um, there's an evolution and maturity to you, to your business and how you think about the client and the people that work there, uh, at your organization, think about the, at the end customer too. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, if you're customer focused, you're doing a lot of the good blocking and tackling from a CX perspective, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're interviewing clients, you're getting survey feedback, you're using them in some processes, you, you know what those issues are. You have a really solid complaint management kind of um, team in place. 
you know, your contact center is using this stuff for coaching. I think all those things mean that you're customer focused. If you fast forward to obsessed, all of a sudden now you put like, you put design and a client at the, for, at the forefront of your business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a stage in there where you're customer centric as well. But like, to me, you, you have business people thinking about business problems with a designer's mind right? You, um, you, you are co-creating solutions with your customer. You're bringing them early into the ideation phase to, to say, Hey, look, we don't have the answers here and that's okay for us, but we think that there's a problem to be solved in our industry and we want to solve that. And we want to bring you into that process to make sure that we deliver the best end product or process, whatever that is. And that to me really starts to distinguish, um, organizations that are customer focused versus customer obsessed. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of just literature out there, like on Amazon and they're customer obsessed. Even Chase right, says they're customer obsessed. Um, there are a lot of other financial services that are jumping on the Amazon bag line. Everyone's being customer obsessed. Yeah. It's one thing to say it. It's a completely different thing, though, to really have those practices and those norms embedded in your culture and your organization in a way that you live that every day. Yeah. Right. And uh, that to me, and I wrote a little bit about it on LinkedIn. Um, but that to me is, is, is what kind of starts to constitute the difference between I understand and I know what our clients need versus that permeates everything throughout our business from strategy, finance to HR, you name it. We're starting with the customer, right? And then we're working backward. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds, like a, it sounds like a great plan to be more customer obsessed. And it also sounds like a lot of work. Um, so what are the benefits of being customer obsessed? So, I, you know, when, when there's plenty of like just empirical research out there, right? Like CX leaders are ahead of the S&P by like, I don't know, like 150%, some like, yeah. or, you know, step change, you know, function of, of, of returns, um, higher returns. So to me, I think, you know, one, I think that there are market benefits from a business, uh, you know, higher percentage of repeat sales, more revenue, better profit. But even culturally within an organization, you've got people that love coming to work. They're engaged. Um, and they're engaged because they're able to like really literally bring a customer into their day-to-day and say, okay, let's solution this together versus you know, truly relying on an SM, a subject matter expert that might have been mm-hmm. there for 20 years and, and knows it all, right? Um, I think that um, companies are able to evolve and grow in different ways and more quickly as well. And that's just not faster speed to market with products, but I think also as a business and owning a category and being able to be ahead of that competition in a way um, that you probably normally wouldn't be able to do unless you were a customer obsessed. So, you know, for me, like you've got the market driven financial benefits, you've got your culture piece, um, and then you've got sort of like that future visioning, um, you know, or future state slash visioning component where you're able to adapt much more quickly because you're bringing in that learning uh, much sooner into your development process. Um, And you can either tack quickly with the market or you can identify completely new categories that are certainly within your company's core competency, but you can kind of um, act on those much more quickly too. Yeah. Yeah. So I I didn't prep you for this question, but now I'm, I'm intrigued is what, um, why don't people, focus on being customer obsessed and kind of step into that next stage. Uh, What's the risk or why, why are they uh, so hesitant to not focus on that when they see those benefits that you just mentioned? 
Well, I think a couple of things. One is it's really hard and you just can't be obsessed just because you say you're obsessed, right? Yep. I think that there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, two, it does cost more money, right, than setting mm -hmm. up, you know, a survey monkey survey or, you know, using, you know, one of the myriad of sort of, you know, survey companies out there. Yep. Um, and, and three, I think that there's, it, you know, culture takes a lot of time and then even the team to be able to get you there, right? There's not a lot of people, um, you know, professionals out there that truly understand what being customer obsessed means and the steps that a company has to take to get there. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot of fight for that talent and, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard. Right. Um, you know, Amazon, you know, wasn't created yesterday. Right. They've refined their model over, you know, well over a decade. Right. And um, I, I think that you need to be comfortable with the fact that you are not going to be Amazon tomorrow, even though Amazon, you think Amazon's going to come eat your lunch tomorrow. Yeah. And that takes um, time, money, resources and, and asking the tough questions about your business that, you know, some folks may not be comfortable asking or answering too. Hmm. No, it's all, all great stuff. And I think um, everybody thinks that, you know, even if the SMBs are saying, Oh, I, I need to be Amazon. And you're like, yeah, I mean, you need to be your version of Amazon. It's not, you can't, you don't have billions and billions of dollars to do customer experience, but figuring out what you're good at, what your value is, where your pain points are, and then adjust accordingly and then be your version of Amazon. Yeah, but, but even that, even if you figure that out, Nick, right, that in and of itself takes time. You might need to reorganize yeah. your business, right? You might, your organizational structure might be wrong, which that takes a long time. You might not have the talent to get there. You might not have uh, the financial resources to get there. So that's why I think, you know, going back to those core tenants, right, starting with those insights and the analytics, building a foundation from there, bringing that into the design, and then, you know, leading, you know, helping lead cultural change off of that, that um, you could probably get there more quickly than if you didn't have that kind of plan um, by putting something like that into place and saying, okay, we are not going to be Amazon, but you're, to your point, we'll be the Amazon of, uh, you, you, you name it, train tracks, right? And uh, we'll be able to do X, Y, Z, but being, you know, getting the, research, the talent that can help you think that through and get you there and putting a plan in place to do that, I think, you know, sometimes is, is you know, it all, and it all comes down to execution, obviously. So. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So on, on uh, LinkedIn, you mentioned that you focus, um, you're doing a lot more focus on uh, machine learning and, and AI yeah. and its applications in the CX space. So what, what is innovating technology and why is it so important to CX? So, you know, for me, and, and, and maybe this is a good segue, maybe in, if we talk about outcomes, you know, mm -hmm. in a couple minutes for me, it, it's, if, if you're really going to do CX the right way, and, and certainly from an insights perspective, you've got your listening posts on all the time. You need the customer's voice on surround sound, and that creates a lot of data. Um, one, being able to parse through all that sentiment data is really tough to do as an individual. So it's great to have um, different applications that help you do that. Two, you know, just understanding sentiment um, data is, is, you know, not even half the game. It's it's just it's a portion of it. You've got to connect that to operational data or you know, what what your customers are doing. So behavioral. You also have to tie that to financial data. And if you have if you have the technology in place, um, you could, you should tie that to your employee data even. And 
now you've gone from a lot of data just sentiment to multiplying that three, four more times. And you know, when you think about the types of solutions that you know large complex organizations need to put in for the customers, even small ones for that matter, smaller, um, you know, mid-size or, or large small businesses, you know, I, no one or team can do that. And you know, you can you can find relatively inexpensive applications out there. You need the talent to be able to parse through all that data and think it through, of course. Um, but you know. Uh, putting a layer of AI and machine learning over all of that uh, experiential data will help you identify and see things, frankly, that you've never seen before, and then be able to orchestrate journeys or experiences that meet your brand, uh, that are you know journeys and experiences that you want to deliver as a business. And that also helps you bring that back internally to your employees to say, here's what it is today. Here's what our clients think about it. Here's where we want to go. And it's a lot more tangible for people. Right. And that's something that they can act on. Yeah. And, and I think you keep bringing, bringing it up a little bit, but around the employee experience, because, you know, uh, innovative technology, if it's AI machine learning, you know, whatever, as long as it, it, it's good that it improves the customer experience, but in the customer service space in the contact center, there's so many things that can improve the employee experience to create uh, a better experience a more seamless and, and being able to integrate technology to create, yep. it kind of goes back to what my, my old analogy that I, I continue to use as a married guy, right? Is if mom ain't happy and nobody happy. And the same is true, <laughs> right? And the same is true with your employees. So your employees yeah. are the voice of, of uh, your organization, the heartbeat. And so they will show it if they are not um, having the right process, tools and technology yeah. to, to succeed. And, and we use, and Nick, we use Medallia internally and you know, we use it in the contact center, we use it for the broader business. And in the contact center, as an example, I mean, you're getting feedback in real time, post-call, that supervisors can use to coach their employees. It creates a better environment for them, right? You've got feedback that's almost in the moment. And, you know, you've got the tool or the dashboards for your head of your contact center down to their direct reports and other supervisors to be able to better manage that business, right? You want to obviously manage a call center that optimizes, you know, sort of like people on the phone, but you also want to do it in a way that kind of, you know, threads through, um, you know, your capacity model with your client SAC model, right? So how do you do both in tandem in, in the best way? Mm. No, that's great. I think we could even, we can continue this and just have a series of, of topics around technology. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned also a couple of times on how to, um, about business outcomes. And I think this is probably one of the most important conversations that um, CX leaders should be listening to is how do you align customer experience with the business outcomes? So I'll give you one great way. Um, you know, Agile has been um, sort of like a new way of working for a number of years, not, not really new to a lot of organizations. Mm -hmm. um, one great way, if you're a CX leader today, call up one of your product um, owners um, or your scrum master, whatever the terminology is that you use um, internally, and say, hey, look, I'd like to actually set up listening posts. One is, what's your journey map? Um, and, and all Scrum teams should have a journey map. Um, identify the, the key moments that matter in that journey, set up listening posts in that journey, and then say, hey, look, we're gonna bring this, we're gonna turn these on live, so whatever the trigger is that happens, you start to get this data back in real time, you and your team. 
And you'll be able to use this you know, voice of the customer as part of your two-week sprints, your quarterly planning processes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you know, then as you're a product owner, it's like, okay, let me think this through. I'm going to start getting active voice of the customer through that my team is going to be able to have, and they can start um, incorporating that into their development sprints. Yes, okay. So now you've got your listening post set up. As those two, two-week sprints start to happen, right? One, you're investing in those teams' money to be there, right? Yeah. Teams need, need capital to be there. Two, um, there is, you've got OKRs and a lot of OKRs, um, um, uh, you know, those sort of um, uh, the metrics that the teams will measure themselves against um, have financial impact associated with them. So now you know, okay, my two-week sprint had X impact on these metrics, right? My quarterly planning process now, you build that in and say, okay, we want to move our, 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 our strategic metrics now from X to Y. You can start to capture that. And because you've got investment in that team, because you've got investment and understanding of if we design XYZ, it results in XYZ more revenue, you can mm-hmm. then start to tie those listening posts and those moments that matter to that revenue pretty easily at that point. Mm-hmm. And just starting that one small way shines a light and frankly brings a new light to how one, how CX can partner with your agile product teams to deliver more value. But then what does that mean to sort of the top line or, or even bottom line to, to a business, right? And if you can put that one pager in front of your CFO, like yeah. you've got a business case to kind of keep moving forward and keep adding uh, those listening posts that those teams are working with them. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's great advice. Um, but continue to have the ear of the CFO hearing what their outcomes are, what they're measured on, or maybe a, a, of the organization because, uh, and maybe that's a, a department by department case. It, yeah, the CFO is important, but um, what's everybody else measured on and what are their outcomes? Uh, and maybe we can focus on those and kind of dig a little bit deeper because maybe yeah. some of their outcomes are similar to what my outcomes are. That's right. And, and I know over the last couple of years, as sort of the proliferation of the employer experience conversation has happened. You have a lot of CX leaders engaging their HR partners a lot more. I think day one, as soon as you're in that seat, whether it's a new company or, or starting tomorrow, go take your CFO up for a coffee. Hmm. Help them like learn how the business makes money. Follow the money trail, right? Think about how your work um, can be a layover onto that money trail for your business, right? And then you can start to tie metrics to, to, to dollars and it gets much easier. And frankly, if you've got the CFO's ear, you, there's a good chance all of a sudden you're going to have your CEO's ear as well. Yeah. And um, I think the CFO, the head of HR, um, head of strategy, those should be the best friends of any CX leader in any organization, any, plus marketing, of course. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you are, it sounds like this CX should be the listening post of, of the organization as, as a whole and hopefully have everybody's ear. I hope it should be. I mean, that's, you know, um, if, if we're doing this the right way, I think that's, you know, that's part of the model. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so the last question I have before I get into my, my uh, two questions I ask everybody is, as a leader in customer experience, how far do you look into the future? I mean, it's, is it 5, 10, 15, uh, 300 years out? Um, so I, I'm a really big nerd and I think about the future a lot as it is. Um, you know, as soon as as soon as I bought my first iPhone, which now feels like a hundred years ago, I was already like, what is this thing going to look like in 2050? Yeah. Right. I mean, so 
Um, I think a lot about the future. I try and one, you know, certainly have, you know, what is, where should our team be and what should we be working on three years out? I think five years is from a business context is, is tough, but not from an industry context, yeah. right? So if you're thinking there's, if, you know, I think it's, um, there's a great HBR Harvard Business Review article about a strategy cone. If you're thinking about what are those system level changes in your industry that 10, 15, 20 years out, how do you work backwards from there into strategy and then tactics? Yeah. So like, what are the things that you need to be doing now as a CX leader to set your organization up for success in that five to 10 year period versus that 10 to 20 or even greater? And you know, while I think that you can't devote you know, 50% of your brain share to that kind of exercise, you, know, you should probably be devoting, or at least like I, I like to, like just devote 10% of, of your thinking to where is this space going? What are sort of the fintechs doing now that, mm. you know, in 10 to 15 years can completely disintermediate this business, yeah. right? And what do we need to be doing now from a customer experience perspective to, to make sure that we're in that game, right? So, um, so I think that at, at, a, at, a, at a bare minimum, it's, you know, what is my one, two and three year plan? Uh, but then thinking a little bit long-term strategically around where is the market going or where is this business going? And then what do I have to do to help this business be successful over the long term. Yeah. So um, you kind of mentioned FinTech and, and kind of where are they at in those years? How often are you jumping outside of your industry to see what, what other industries are doing and maybe how you can adapt to, to your marketplace? Look, I, look, not, and I'll, I'll just say, I, mean, I don't think, you know, a lot of the best ideas come out of financial services space. I think that you need to be a consumer of information and news across industry. Um, you know, hopefully as you do that, you know, your thinking evolves and you're able to make parallels to your own industry or what that might look and feel like. Similar to our app conversation around Amazon. Don't try and be Amazon, just be the Amazon of your industry, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I think it's really important to kind of look outside the category as often as you do inside um, and think about, you know, what are those learnings and takeaways that I can bring in house? Yep. Great advice. So Bill, I ask, um, uh, every guest, two questions. Uh, and the yeah. first question is, um, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And the second question is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service and all the customer experience professionals, what would it say? So those are great questions, Nick. Um, you know, the book that I feel like I keep on leafing back into is Sprint. Uh, Jake Knapp, Google Ventures wrote that. It's a relatively newish book past year or two, um, maybe even older. Um, and, you know, it really talks about sort of the five-day sprint to identifying the problem, solutioning it, prototyping, and, and starting to get feedback on that prototype. And, you know, it's as much process to, to solution as it is mindset. And, you know, that, that book really changed my view in how I think about CX and partnership with agile teams and product owners in a business. And that book actually has helped spur some success for me professionally mm -hmm. in being able to evolve and change that thinking. You know, one of the examples that I gave before in terms of measuring success of agile teams, like a lot of that thinking came out of that book for me, right? So um, if, you, if you've never read it, I, I really recommend you pick it up. Um, again, it just, it helps you kind of think about how you solve problems for your customer and how you can continuously add value in a business quickly. 
Wow. Sounds like a great book. I'll have to have to grab it. And then the, the second yeah. question is, uh, uh, what would you say to all the customer service and all the customer experience professionals? If you could write one note and, and it would reach everybody. Um, that's a great question. I think for me is, um, you know, don't ever give up, right? I feel like sometimes in this, in this type of role, people feel like, you know, at least every once in a while, you're pushing a rock uphill in a big one. Um, so for me, it's don't ever give up. I think the, the folks that are in the CX space are in it for the right reasons, and they really want to drive transformational change. You got to keep on talking about it, keep on coming up with new ways of talking about it and show real and try and show real concrete examples of its impact and effect on the business. And that takes perseverance. So, you know, don't, don't ever give up. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there should be an app for um, all of these, all of these sayings that I, I'm listening to and just create an app and it's an alert for all the CX professionals. Like don't ever give up. <laughs> it's just like, a, sort of like mindfulness for CX, right? Yeah, just like right. deep breathing and just like, you know, reaffirmation type of, uh, uh, type stuff that keeps on going. So. <laughs> there you go. So what is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Is it, you know, LinkedIn or how do people, if people want to learn more about what you're doing or, um, you know, uh, want to follow you or, or listen to some, uh, watch, uh, look at some of the articles that you've written, what's the best way to get a hold of you? So I think the best way is LinkedIn. Feel free to send me an invite to connect. Um, happy to share, you know, over, you know, um, you know, one-to-one, -one, some of the things that have worked. And frankly, I've been in this space so long, I probably have like, here are the thousand things you don't want to do. So <laughs> don't step in it, right? Um, I've had my sh fair share of mistakes and failures. And sometimes, frankly, that's that's more helpful than here's what does work. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd welcome anyone in the CX profession to, or, or outside, frankly, if you're listening to this podcast to reach out. Um, yeah. I'm always open to learning more and, and making a new connection. And, you know, if we can't help each other, then you know, we're, we're, we're at a huge loss as, a, as the human race. Um, so, um, you know, if I can help someone grow and learn, then, you know, I'm doing my job pretty well. So, yeah, it sounds like a new, um, new article you can read, uh, things that I stepped in that you shouldn't. <laughs> I may have to write that on LinkedIn now. Like here's like the thousand mistakes that I've made in 25 years of doing this work. Um, that would be funny. That would be, be really funny. That'd you, be hilarious. You're giving me a content idea. <laughs> That's so cool. Uh, Bill, I really appreciate your time and it's been a pleasure to, to learn what you're doing and, and uh, some of the um, awesome things that we discussed today and I and, uh, wish you the best of luck. Nick, the pleasure has been all mine. I really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.